I do want to preach to you from Psalm 119, verse 50. <coughs> and my voice is not 100%, but thank goodness it's better. I do thank God that it's getting better, and, and every day it's getting stronger, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But in Psalm 119 and verse 50, it says, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Thy word hath brought new life to me. It means to revive, to keep alive, to give life, to preserve, to recover, to repair, to restore, to save. And one more statement here by the definition of chaya, to be quickened is to be whole. Thy word hath made me whole. Now, I know there's not a whole lot of us that are here tonight, and I know that sometimes when we first see the weather begin to turn and we see schedules change, we see people shift their priorities around and everything becomes urgent, the grass, the garage, the spring cleaning, whatever. And I'm always grateful for this opportunity to preach to the people that are faithful. And I've always felt like that if there was a time that we ought to be able to just get into a topic and get deep about it, it ought to be a night like tonight when uh, anybody that could be distracted has been. Everybody that could cough up an excuse found one. But those who just love the Lord and they wanted they wanted not only just you know they don't just want to come to church but they want to grow in God and the grace and the knowledge of his word and this is an opportunity i think to talk very seriously with you tonight i'd like to i'd like to tell you that there are many people that are sitting in the pews of this church that sit under anointed preaching not just myself but the people that we have in, the Reva Casey's and the T.L. Lowry's and the Apostle Curlins and the Bishop Carter's, the people that we've had in this place that are preaching the gospel and they're preaching meat, they're preaching the truth and yet there are people that are going to sit in this place and they're going to wither and they're going to die and they are not going to grow. And it has nothing to do with the word. It has nothing to do with preaching a better sermon. It has nothing to do with being more anointed or more balanced, which is the one I like to hear a lot, you know, from people. You know, you need to be more balanced in your preaching. And I've never quite understood what they meant by that when you say balanced in your preaching. When you say balanced, do you mean I need to preach for Jesus one Sunday and preach for the devil the next Preach for godliness one week and worldliness the next. I mean, what do they mean preaching for balance? There's nothing balanced about the gospel message. The gospel message is life for life. It's a covenant message. It's a radical message. 
There's no balance in the kingdom of God. God said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You're either hot or cold. And so, but there are those that are going to sit and they're going to listen and, and they're going to hear the same words that you hear. <clears throat> they're going to face the same challenges and decisions that you do, and yet they're not going to grow. They're not going to move forward. Many of them are going to wither away and die, and we're going to be amazed years from now at people that are didn't make it. You say, how can you say this? Well, I've been pastoring 20 years. This is my 21st year. And I'm still in awe at some of the people that didn't make it. I'm, I'm in awe at some of the people that are barely saved today that I used to think were some of the most on-fire Christian people that I prayed with every day. Not just once a week at church, but every day I prayed with them. Now they can't go a day without cursing and throwing things and carrying on in ways I just never dreamed. And there's a reason for that. And it's not because that there's an absence of Food or an absence of seed. See, when we read the word of God, we begin to realize that the seed is not the issue. The word of God, the seed of God's words has life and it has power. As a matter of fact, it'll even start to grow up in impossible places. You, you put it on stony ground and it'll spring up quickly with life. But because it can't take root in the soil, it's not going to last. And see, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the condition of your mind to receive the word of God. Your mind has to be conditioned to receive the word of God. Your mind has to be conditioned to receive the word of God. And see, there are people that they, they sit here and they listen to the message, but the priority level to which they give it in their mind, it already is not going to penetrate the soil because they treat it just like the television being on in the background. You know, their mind's still thinking about a thousand other things. Some of you sitting here daydreaming about other things right now. Thinking about how much you don't want to be here. and You know, you're worried about this shirt. It gets blurry every once in a while depending on how the light hits it. Why is the pastor wearing sneakers and whatever else is on your mind? You got a lot of things on your mind, but nothing to do with what I'm saying. And that's just... And that's an undisciplined mind and that mind will not receive the benefit of the word of God that's being preached and taught. It will not. That word will come, that word will go and two weeks from now we can talk about this service and we can talk about this crazy shirt that I was wearing that night and I had the tennis shoes on and for the life of you, I could stand there with a $100 bill and say, if you can tell me what I preached on that night, and you can't tell me. You cannot tell me. Now, I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad because I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a thousand services where 
I can't remember what was said either. Because my mind was not prepared to receive the word of God. My mind was simply not prepared. But yet there are other times where I can tell you about sermons that changed my life. And they are part of the way I think. They have changed the way I feel. I was, I was just telling someone recently. I told him, I said, I said, you know, about 18 years ago, I heard Reverend Gene Jackson preach a sermon. He told the story that night about how that he had a family that went to his church that loved God as much or more than anybody he'd ever met in his entire life. And how that they had a son that was handicapped and in a wheelchair. And despite the fact that many specialists told them to put that child into a home somewhere and forget that he ever existed, they cared for that boy. They not only cared for that boy, but God gave him another son, and this son wasn't handicapped. And he was about, I don't know, three or four years old. Not only did this family care for that child, but when nobody else would drive the church van for that little assembly at God Church, this family stepped up and said, we'll drive it. And the father took one of the seats out and cut it off and put a special thing in the van to hold his son's wheelchair. They didn't have a ramp or anything to lower it down back in those days, so he would have to pick up his son and pick up that chair and set him in that van and then bolt him down. And then they would go out and they would pick up the other people. Nobody else would do it. And so they did that every time the church doors was open. And then one day while they're running that van down the road, a drunk driver crossed over into their lane, hit that church van. And out of everybody in that van, that little four-year-old boy that was perfectly normal was killed. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, so preacher, before you jump on the bandwagon of these name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, word of faith people, he said, you better make sure that you've got a gospel and you've preached a gospel that allow you to look those people in the eye and tell them that their God loves them and that his love never fails. To be able to look those people in the eye and know that you've preached the balance of God's word, that it rains on the just and the unjust, and that it's sin that brought such death and heartache into the world but despite your pain today, Jesus is with you and his Holy Spirit is here to comfort you. And see, I've never forgotten that message. Every time I hear one of these guys up there preaching that if you're spiritual, you don't have problems and telling people that if they've got enough faith and they've got enough wisdom, they'll never face another trial, I remember the sermon 
of Reverend Gene Jackson. I remember the night that Brother Doug Lutz, before I ever even became a part of the Assemblies of God, 20, 21, almost 22 years ago, took me up to Florence, Kentucky to my first district council. I stood in the foyer. We were a little late getting to the service. The worship was already going on. Here comes a man through the door. I don't know who he is, so I just go up, shake his hand. Hi, how you doing? So are you a pastor? No, I'm not a pastor. I gave it up a long time ago. I said, well, really? I said, well, you know, whatever the Lord has planned for you, brother. He says, well, are you pastor? I said, no, I'm an evangelist. I said, I'm not with the assemblies, but a friend from the assemblies invited me to come tonight. And he looked at me and he said, well, it's a, it's a good movement. It's a good movement. That's all he said to me. But he, and he was kind of kind of a little smirk on his face. I couldn't figure out why he was so happy that he was, he was getting a kick out of something. I didn't know what until he, they introduced the speaker that night, the assistant superintendent of the entire general council of the Assemblies of God, Reverend Charles Crabtree, and that's who I was talking to in the foyer. <laughs> and he thought it was so funny that I didn't know who he was. <clears throat> and he preached a sermon that night that he entitled, Be a Man of God. That was the title of his sermon. The body of Christ had just went through the Jimmy Swaggart scandal and the PTO scandal. All these things had just happened, and he's, he didn't mention anybody by name, but he said, you know, we've had our great stars that have fallen. And he started telling stories about his dad. You know, I didn't know then that one day my apostle, my mentor, would pastor the church he was telling stories about. That in Bangor, Maine, at Glad Tidings Church, that my good friend and my apostle, Ron Morris, was going to pastor that church. But he started telling stories about his dad who pastored that church for 42 years. I'm talking about back in the 50s and 60s when there was no such thing as a mega church. He was running 700 to 1,000 people. It's one of the first ones in the country to ever launch a major bus ministry. Spent a lot of his time going across the country promoting the big Sunday school bus ministry that birthed the mega church movement. I mean, this man who never went into a restaurant didn't pick up the tab of anybody in the room that he knew. He talked about how that his churches go, it was one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the assemblies of God during that time. And yet when his father died and he went and looked at his personal effects, he found hanging in his closet only two suits of clothes and a pair of shoes that the souls had worn out and his father had taken cardboard and cut it out and put it in the bottom of his shoes amen to service souls in his shoes where there were holes in them and he said I'm not asking you pastors to only have two suits of clothes he said I'm not asking you to wear shoes that have holes in them. He said, I'm just saying that I believe for every one guy that's messed up, there's a thousand that did it right. And if we are going to stop this trend of preachers being a joke, he said, and being the butt of jokes like used car salesmen and lawyers, 
He said, somebody's going to have to be a man of God. Somebody's going to have to do it. Not for the money, not for the riches, not for the fame, not for gold faucets and air-conditioned doghouses. Somebody's going to have to preach this gospel just because God called them to preach it and because they loved the God that called them. And I've never forgotten that. I crawled under that seat that night and I cried for two hours till I was embarrassed, till I was like apologizing. And if you could help me to the car, you can go ahead and start driving home. And my point is, those sermons changed my life. They changed the way that I thought about things. They changed the direction that my life was going. And yet what we fail to realize is that every time we hear the word of God, it has the same power. It is the openness with which we receive the word that determines the impact. That's the thing about the seed and the power of that seed. So you say, well, what is it that I need? What is it, pastor? How is it that I can take advantage of the word? The preacher's preaching, we're having camp meeting this year. T.L. Lowry is going to be here again this year. We just got a confirmation. He's going to preach two nights of our camp meeting this year. I mean, there's going to be some great speakers that are coming. We've invited Sister Reva Casey to come back. We're working out a date with her. I mean, there's going to be some great sermons, some great, but how do I, how do I take advantage of that? How do I come to the house of God? And if I'm going to be there, and I'm going to sit there. How do I take advantage of that? How can I let the word of God begin to transform me so that I'm not the same 10 years from now? Have you, have you realized that we don't want to be the same? We want to be changed from faith to faith and from glory to glory. That we are in a process called sanctification. And we need to constantly grow in that as we press towards perfect sanctification. As we press towards that place Amen, where that we can go longer and longer periods of time without having to worry about God convicting us about our lifestyle, where our, where our habits are habits of good works. That place where maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you're able to stop yourself from cussing, but there's a place that you get to in maturity where there ain't no cuss in you anymore. It's not part of you anymore because of that change, that transformation. And that's what the Bible calls the washing of the word of God. That we are sanctified by the word of God. And David understood this when he said, it's the word of God that has quickened me. It's the word of God that's given me new life. It's changing me. The word is changing me. We think it's from one experience to the next. That's why I see people running around. And, and that's, if there's a flaw in the Pensacola revival and the Bay City revival, is it's based more around an experience 
and less about the word of God. What are you saying? Listen, you can come in here and have a vision, have a dream, fall out, experience the blessing of God. You can tremble for four hours. But it's not till we know the truth that we're free. Are you listening to me? If in that experience God doesn't speak to you, then that experience will have no permanent impact on your future walk with God. Are you hearing me? Maybe sometimes God will give us a vision. He'll give us a dream. He'll give us something. But are we looking and are we listening with our spirit? What is God saying to us? That vision is for the purpose of communication. That experience is for the purpose of communication. Did you get the message? All right, is anybody following me? Not do you just have another experience to tell. Oh, we had a hot time the other night. Oh, I tell you, I felt the power of God tonight the other night. Oh, I danced, I danced, I shouted my hair down the other night. Well, that's great, but did you get the message? And has your mind been renewed by the word of God? I'm going to tell you some ways how to get your mind prepared. I mean, if you want to write them down, you can because there's, there's two or three of them that I think would be beneficial. Number one, the most important is you've got to praise the Lord to get ready to receive the word. You know, it's quiet in here. I said, you've got to praise the Lord. I'm just going to tell you, you can't spend all day complaining about your life, complaining about your circumstances, pouting, whining, crying, come in and phone in your praise and worship and expect to have the word do anything but bounce off your hard head. I said, Pastor, where do you get that? Well, first of all, in the Old Testament, the Bible clearly says, Judah shall plow. Praise plows. Praise prepares the heart. When you come in here and begin to do what? What do we do when we praise God? We magnify God. What happens when we magnify something? Our perception of the object gets bigger. Does God get bigger? No, God's already as big as this whole universe. But by magnifying God, our perception gets bigger. So when we came in here, our perception of God may have been very small. But it's like, what, what, was, the, what was the old thing there with, when uh, the old commercials they had? Some of you will remember this. Some of you, maybe it's too far back. But when E.F. Hutton talks, everybody listens. And someone would say E.F. Hutton and everybody would just get real quiet. What's, what's he saying about the market? Well, see... When we haven't been praising God and magnifying God and God, our faith isn't up, our, our perception of God isn't high, then we do not value what God says. But when we praise God and begin to magnify God, and then, when God, then we'll hear the word of God, the word of God has more gravitas. It has more impetus. It has more potency. It has more power. It has more meaning to it. Brenda said the other day we were standing there. She went, Marissa, 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 Marissa. And I went, Marissa. And she stopped dead in her tracks. 
She goes, see, my voice doesn't mean anything. That's because Marissa knows mom's not going to do anything. And if mom is going to do anything, there's going to be 14,000 warnings. And then mom's going to get loud. She's going to scream. But Marissa also knows dad may walk up with just one warning. This is your last chance. Next time I call your name, you're not doing right. I'm going to wear you out. And the next time that she's not doing right and I call her name, you know what I do? I wear her out. And that's why my voice has power. When I speak, she stops. From time to time, I can watch my kids. Poor Ashley, she's the only one out here tonight, so she's got to hear this. But I can hear even my older kids. I'm talking, and they're not listening. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, and I have to stop and look at them and go, did you forget who you're talking to? Do you forget who you're talking to? Do I need to remind you of who you're talking to? I don't know, Dad. You don't you know. I know. I know. No, I don't think you know. You understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the level of respect. They're crossing lines. They're crossing barriers. They're interrupting my sentences. I got things to say. You don't interrupt my sentences in my house where I pay the bills. Okay? I don't know how it is at your house. But at my house, you, you, you let me finish what I'm saying. Because what I'm saying is very important. It could affect your immediate happiness. It could affect your ability to sit down for the next week. Now you guys are all looking at me, but what are you talking I'm just talking about simple authority. But how do you know when we haven't been praising God and magnifying God and we're not in the reverence and the fear and the worship of the Lord, then what happens? His words start losing power. And you can tell because we run around saying, oh my God, God this, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, oh my God, oh my God. And we run around running our mouths about this and the fear of God is not there. But have you know, when you've been praising the Lord and you've been worshiping God, you get in the presence of God, what comes? What comes after we praise the Lord? What always comes after we've really praised the Lord? A reverential fear and worship. And it's in that reverence that the word has power now. Wait a minute, God's talking. It ain't just pastor preaching. Pastor's preaching the word. The word is eternal. It's immutable. It's infallible. It is the foundation of our faith. The word is God. And so now all of a sudden, because of the respect, we can receive the word. That's how praise plows. That's how praise prepares us. Hey man, we haven't praised properly. There's times I get frustrated because I'm in here and I'm listening to the praise and I know I got to preach after this plastic praise. <clears throat> I'm not going to preach that tonight. Y'all don't deserve to hear that. Y'all the faithful. Y'all here. I'm going to wait till Sunday. I'm going to give them that Sunday. Y'all don't deserve a spanking for being faithful tonight. But how do you understand what I'm talking about? You come in here and you know you, they, they, man, they phoning it in. They phoned, they phoned it in. Praise team done phoned it in. You know what I'm saying? Everybody phoning it in. You know, 
we could have done this from home on the answer machine. And you can't tell the difference between the live performance and the recording. You can't. And then it's like, well, I'm going to get up and preach after that. And I'm not picking on Rachel tonight because I'm going to tell you, Rachel feels it too. There's many times I've stepped in the pulpit to stir it up and I can see the relief on her face. She's like, thank you, pastor. Come up here and kick these people. Do something to them. I can't do nothing with them. They won't do nothing. She's singing her guts out, man. Singing and praising and dancing and shouting and just looking out there and people looking like just lumps on pickles and knots on logs. You know, my God, I've seen, I've seen small critters laying in the middle of the freeway with more life. And man, they're just, they're just out there just, just, you know, their minds a million miles away. And you know, it's like, man, I got to get up and preach to that. I'm going to sow seed into that. Come on, we got to plow the ground first. We got to plow. There needs to be some reverence in this place. There needs to be some fear of God in this place. There needs to be a little respect because we're going to be talking about him. We're going to be talking about his word and we want it to have an impact and we want it to have power. Because I don't want to stay the same. I don't want the devil playing the same tricks on me 20 years from now. I don't want him getting by with the same garbage. I'm ready to be transformed, come into my destiny as a child of God, come into my full inheritance. And if I'm going to come into that inheritance, amen, then I've got to learn to praise the Lord. That's why every time we praise the Lord in the house of God, it's important. It's important because we're getting ourselves ready to hear the word of God. I've even watched great praise prepare sinners to hear the word of God. And you say, why? Well, they may not have been praising, but they were surrounded by praise. And the the intensity of the praise began to raise the question mark in their spirit. Hey, these people are serious. Hey, these people are real. Hey, these people are passionate about what they believe. And watch the praise of the people, even the, the praise of Judah plow the heart of the sinner before the gospel is preached. There's something to that when I praise, we focus our attention on God. What happens? What happens if I was to just. What? Curiosity takes over and everybody starts looking. What are you looking at? See, when everybody in the church house starts looking up towards God and worship, the sinner starts going, what, what, what are they looking at? We, we have already, by our praise, caused them to pose the question that the word of God, the gospel, is about to give them the answer. I'll tell you what they're looking at. They're looking at Jesus. You may not know what to call him, but his name is Jesus. And this is why they're praising him. Amen, that's the power of praise. Praise plows, it prepares their hearts. Amen, we've got to have that. We've got to have that. The second thing, we can't go further in God until we own what we've already heard. So what are you talking about? It's understanding how the word of God works. This is number two here, praise plows. But number two, the word of God is line upon line. Precept 
upon precept, truth and revelation upon revelation. And I can't get this revelation till I've got this revelation. Are you following me? I've got to start with the foundation and I've got to work my way up. And as a pastor, amen, I'm passionate about the foundational truths. The first thing that I taught in the TLC Academy Bible study class were the 16 tenets of faith of the assemblies of God. The first thing that I teach to everybody who wants to join this church, you need to know the 16 tenets of faith. But yet if I was to go around the church tonight and do a thing and say, can we name all 16 tenets of faith in this place? I doubt we could do it. Okay, maybe Ashley because she was in the class and that was their final exam. They had to list all 16 tenets of faith and two scripture references for each one. And so maybe, maybe, I don't know, it's been a while since she took the test. She might embarrass us all. And yet we come in here and it's like, well, pastor, I want to know how to work the miracles. I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to be wealthy. I want God to prosper me and be rich so I can support the work of the Lord. And you don't even know what you're asking for. You don't even know what the Bible says. It's hard for a rich man to make it. The Bible says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You you don't even have enough Bible to know what you're asking for. You're asking, God's got to take you deep. I said, God's got to take you deep to trust you with wealth. Deep. I'm not making this up. I stood, I stood right here one day when a man handed me a $10,000 check and said, Pastor, I'm praying for the day that God makes this $100,000. I took him by the hand. I said, God, make it $100,000. You hurt his heart today in the name of Jesus. And the day came to write the $100,000 check. God blessed him with $1.3 million. He couldn't write the check. Will a man rob God? You honestly think it don't make a difference when you get six zeros after it? You don't think it makes a difference? You don't think it makes a difference when you're in a 50% tax bracket and you start saying God wants 10% and I already got to give the government 50? You don't think it makes a difference? You got the faith to live on 40? You got the faith to do that? It's faith to faith and glory to glory. It is a precept upon a precept. And there are times when I preach and I know that there's only half the people in the church that could get it if they do because they have enough foundation to get it. We start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then we're not even talking about theologically deep discussions about pre-incarnate Christ and the high priest of the order of Melchizedek and the coming sons of God. We're not even talking about that. We're just talking about, I mean, just just the basics, how-tos. And see, if we want the deep, we, we have to get the foundation. We have to fall in love with the foundation because we can't get that until we get this. And if we try to skip it, have you met the people that skipped it? 
Come on, let's be honest. Have you met the people that know all about the prophetic and don't know how to live holy? And don't know how to come to church faithfully? And don't know how to pay their tithes? Have you met those people that are so spiritual that they hurt the body of Christ? Am I, am I telling the truth? I said I was going to get real with you tonight. Did y'all want to hear it or not? You should have told me then, Pastor. Keep it shallow. I'm talking deep to you. How many of you have met that person? Oh, they always got a word for everybody and got a word of knowledge, and you're wondering how come they can't get a word about who their pastor's supposed to be. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> it's because they're trying to skip and go up here and grab hold of something, and they can't ever really own that truth because that truth is only fully understood in the light of the truth that goes before it. It is line upon line, precept upon precept. And so I can't be up here. A young Christian come up to me not too long ago. And he said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about the book of Revelations. I'm going to tell you something about it. And he started talking to me and I said, listen, come, come here, come here, come here. Just come with me. He said, when I took him to my office, I pulled out four books on the book of Revelation. Some of them were like this thick. I pulled them out. I said, listen, read these books. And when you can understand these books, then me and you will have a conversation about Revelations. I said, but you don't know enough to even talk to me about this. I mean, that's how, that's how ignorant we are sometimes in the things of God. We don't, even we don't even know the language of the book yet to have a conversation. But we got one little thing over here. Well, I, got, I got a revelation and God showed me. I just had someone uh, send me a text the other day. God showed me the 144,000. It's the church and the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. And, and, and I just wrote him back a simple email saying, listen, buy a dake, read it. Just buy it and read it because you don't have that revelation. You're dealing with something, you, you, can't, you can't start in the middle of the book of Revelations and get it, can you, brother? It's truth upon truth. And they want us, they, they, they want us to, oh, oh, I got, I got something the other day from a guy, God, oh, God showed me in the book of Daniel, the revelation about this verse, and he laid this whole thing out here, and the entire thing is based upon the misrepresentation of a Hebrew word. He's going all the way back to the root word, and trying to shove that into it. And it's not the root word that's listed in the verse. You know, it is another word that, that obviously the root word is the root of. But have you ever noticed that a prefix, a suffix, uh, 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 and, and a second half of a word uh, can affect the meaning quite a bit? Have you never noticed that? So there's a big difference between the word evil and the word devil. There's a little bit of a difference there. And yet, you know, he's taking one little word and then manipulating that verse of scripture. And then I'm sitting there listening. I'm thinking, man, you're talking about crazy. Crazy. I said, I said, I said right there two weeks ago, Wednesday night, and listened to a full grown man who's well read in the word of God tell me that we are all as Christians to be possessed by three spirits of the seven spirits of God. And they are the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of the Father. And that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never leave you, but the Spirit of Christ and the Father has already left most of the church and their backslid and don't even know it. <laughs> I 
I looked at him. I said, I love you, man. But you are nuts. <laughs> oh, man, but I'm telling you, I've studied the Bible and the Bible said that. I said, yeah, and you've jumped on one verse. The Holy Spirit says, the Bible says, the Spirit of God has sealed us under the day of redemption. So therefore, the Holy Spirit would never leave us. I said, but what about the verse that says, my spirit shall not always strive with man? I said, what about that verse? I said, you said the spirit of Jesus will leave us, but Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the way. Well, that's not what that verse means. I said, see, you can be, you're being dogmatic about one verse and then opening your mind up to see. I said, when the Bible says we're sealed under the day of redemption, I said, what that's telling us is that we have been born of the spirit and we bear the mark of God. But we can go to hell as a, as a prodigal son. It doesn't mean the spirit of God will never depart from us. It says it has marked us and we'll always bear that mark. It doesn't mean the spirit's always there. He said, quench not the spirit. I mean, just, well, you do agree there's seven spirits of God. I said, no, there's seven characteristics of God. That's an old English term. Study your etymology. When it says seven spirits of God, that's the same way of saying, brother uh, Carl has a good heart. Well, am I telling you right now as his cardiologist that he has a great heart, that every valve's working 100%? Is that what I meant by that? No, I mean, he's got a good heart. And when, God, when the Bible talks about the seven spirits of God, it's talking about the seven characteristics of God, not seven unique individual spirits. But when they jump on one verse and there's no other verse to back it up, there's nothing else in the Bible to line it up to and no scripture is given to private interpretation, the word of God says. All scripture is to be judged according to the mouth of two or three witnesses. That's how his word is to be established. He said, let every word be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And when no scripture is given to private interpretation, that means two things. That means no verse can be pulled out of the Bible and explained without the rest of the Bible. You can't do it privately. And secondly, no one person has the personal private interpretation of that verse. God will give it to others. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. If you've got a way that you believe it and you're the only one in the world that believes it that way, you're already wrong and don't know it. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you very much. I'm glad I said it. I'm not going to take it back. Amen. I'm not going to go much longer, but I'm trying to talk to you about receiving the word of God. That it must be truth upon truth or we're going to get it messed up. We're going to get it messed up. Whatsoever things you do in word or deed, do it also in the name of Jesus. If you're not baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to hell. What? Well, that'd be the same thing as saying that if I took the baby's bottle and stuck it in the baby's mouth without declaring in Jesus' name first, I'm going to go to hell because I just fed the baby and I didn't do it in Jesus' name. And is that not a deed? I picked up this lamp and I didn't do it in Jesus' name. You didn't say in Jesus' name when you picked the lamp up? No, you're going to hell, brother. 
Because you didn't read what the Bible says. Because <laughs> they're hung up because they can't hear what is being said there. It's an impartation of authority. Do it under the authority of Christ's ambassadorship. Hello. Does that line up with all of scripture? Absolutely. Did I have to twist what that verse said in order to get that? No, I just had to not be dogmatic about the phraseology. And see, that's where many of us, we get wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up, and hung up on one word. One word, King James said it this way. Well, get you another Bible if you're having trouble understanding it. I mean, get, get a lexicon. Take it back to the original. But sooner or later, the truth will bear out because all of Scripture flows in perfect unity. It's only when man becomes dogmatic about it. We become dogmatic about it. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I've seen people turn blue in the face arguing with me. If you don't baptize in the name of Jesus, you know, that's, that's what Peter said. Well, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? When he gave us a commission and instruction, he said, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what was Peter doing? Peter was trying to get them to believe in the ambassadorship and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not telling them how to do it. Jesus had already done that. Peter wasn't in a position to usurp anything that Christ had ever said or taught us to do. So if I must take what Jesus said and line it up with what Peter said, then Peter must have been talking about authority. Jesus must have been talking about how to do it. Simply because of who's in charge. Christ is the head of the church. Someone say amen. And whether you know this or not, Peter was not the first pope and he did not lead the early church. That's a bunch of Catholic garbage. Peter was not the first pope. James, the brother of Jesus, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem and had the final say. What makes you think Peter was in charge? James was the brother of Jesus. Twice when they discussed matters of doctrine, after James spoke, he was the last one to speak on the subject, which was always the way that the Jews ran a meeting. When the final authority spoke, no other comments were made. So Peter was never the last one to comment. James was. I guess I ought to preach on that some night. Some of you never heard that before. And, and by the way, if you thought Peter was the first pope, he had a mother-in-law. So that kind of messes with that anyway. You know what I'm saying? Because then there was a Mrs. Pope. <laughs> but see, we don't take things according to the word of God. You have to understand one truth before you can understand another. I can only be confused about Peter talking about baptizing in the name of Jesus if I have not already read Christ's instructions. But since I've read Christ's instructions, then now I clearly understand Peter is not describing the mode, but the authority by which he preached the word to those people, which was the issue over and over again. If you'll notice, when they healed the lame, gan, uh, gate at, uh, they healed the lame man at the gate, they said, Don't, do not think that this is under our power, that we have done this thing. But it is under what? The authority of the name of Jesus Christ. This is how we do what we do. 
And this is why that we're able to do it. That's what he was preaching to them. And understanding that it's not hard. You just have to have one truth to get the next one. But as soon as you try to skip one and go straight to Acts 2.38, you got a problem, don't you? And boy, they sing about, boy, I'm so glad I found out in time. <laughs> I found out that the Father, found out the Son, found out the Holy Ghost, all three, one. Jesus the Father, Jesus the Son, Jesus the Holy Ghost, all three. Got a little bit of a problem with that. I said, why? Because Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. I can see it. I can see the Father, but I can see Jesus standing next to him. When we, when we, when we study the word, it becomes line upon line. You cannot get the next truth till you get this truth. And if you skip a truth... You're, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to stay stagnant. You're going to be stuck right there or you're going to try to move on without it. And then you're going to be over here with all this revelation. I got a good friend. He's got more revelation about the gifts of the spirit and prophecy than anybody else I know, but he couldn't tell you anything about biblical holiness. He couldn't tell, he tell you anything about the doctrine of the Trinity. You give him the book of revelations and he doesn't even understand Everything in the book of Revelations is about the church because we're spiritual Israel. He doesn't even see the fact that God honors Israel even to this day. He can't even see that. How do you get there? How do you get that far removed? A PhD, a PhD, an earned doctorate. How do you get that far removed? All you got to do is skip one truth. Skip one truth and try to hurry up and get on to the next one. It's line upon line and precept upon precept. If you want to go deeper in God, fall in love with the doctrine of the church. Fall in love with the cross. Fall in love with holiness. Fall in love with faithfulness. Fall in love with those things that are rudimentary and foundational. Fall in love with it. Learn that and then you can go deep. You can get in there and you can study those beautiful, precious, amazing truths. You can be caught up in the third heaven and see things that are not lawful for a man to utter. You can have those experiences and those experiences will not cost you your soul because you're prepared to receive them. Your mind is prepared to receive them. But we can't just try to skip ahead. We can't constantly. And that's the way I see so many people doing over and over again. Oh, I don't want to, you know, that's all they ever want to talk about. Mark of the beast and revelations and backmasking. When I, when I was growing up, that's all people want to talk about. And backmasking. I'm glad we don't have records anymore. You can't backmask CDs, so that's good. They used to play the records back. Did you? He said, Satan, did you hear it? It's a Satan. Satan. Yeah, you hear it? He just said, he just said, he just said, kill a baby. You hear that? Kill a baby. No, I didn't. I heard wah, wah, wah. I don't know what you heard. Is anybody paying attention to what they were saying going forward? That was bad enough. You really have to play it backwards and try to say it's wrong. 
I mean, how many bats does the guy have to eat before we say, not a good role model? <laughs> and that's all people, you know, they want to get caught up in the spirits and demons. And I'm going to talk about, listen, you've got to get your foundation, understand your salvation before you get to fighting demons. You'll be like the sons of Sceva. The devil will rip your clothes off, send you out the house naked, all beat up, smacked around. He'll embarrass you. Not that we need to be afraid because when we, when we get in there and study and understand our salvation and understand the incredible power that we have with God, then we can go in there and we can wrestle with those spirits and not be intimidated. We can deal with them. We can tread on them. We have power over them. But we've got to be willing to go line upon line. So praise Judah and then truth upon truth. Love your foundational truth. Love doctrine. Love the word. Stay in the word every day, every day, every day. The word needs to be a lamp to your feet, a light under your path. The word needs to be your bread when you're hungry. Amen. You need to feast on the word of God every day of your life. I want you to understand something. There is a warfare that is coming in the spirit and God is preparing this church for battle. God is preparing this church to be a weapon against the forces of darkness that are being unleashed in this world. This church is going to be a place where people come and they're delivered from the spirit of this world. They're delivered from perversion. They're delivered from homosexuality. They're delivered from drug addiction. They're delivered from depression. This is the place where God's wanting to set them free. But God is saying, we've got to get out of the nursery. And we've got to get our war clothes on. And we've got to take advantage of every message, of every word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We've got to begin to let that word quicken us. Don't stay the same. When you hear the word, let that word have power let that word have weight in your life. I know it's a hard message to preach. How do you preach on how to listen? <laughs> how do you talk about how to listen? But finally, I'm going to leave you with the final thing, the most important thing. The only way to really listen is to be there. Be present. Focus your mind and your attention on the word of God. Come into the house of the Lord and say to the spirit of God, Lord, direct the man of God, direct the message tonight towards something that's going to edify me, something that's going to build me up in my most holy faith, something that's going to transform me and change me, something that's going to convict me and challenge me, something that's going to kill my flesh and cause my spirit to live. God, let the man of God preach, say something that is going to conform me to the image of your son. God, that if there is any place in me where death is lurking, may your light break forth and bring life in Jesus' name. Amen. If you make that your heart's cry and your heart's desire, God will never fail to answer that prayer. 
you will get something out of every sermon, out of every message. Even if I'm preaching on the cross, if I'm preaching on Calvary, if I'm preaching the gospel for the four millionth time, amen, God will make sure something speaks to your spirit and feeds you and leads you and takes you deeper. Because that's how awesome our God is. Have you know God can do it? I said, come on, have you know God can do that? Have you ever seen God do it for you? There's times I've stood in this pulpit and I've preached the simplest message. I've even thought to myself, Lord, I'm not even preaching to the church. I'm preaching to one lost soul over here. But I got to obey your Holy Spirit and then have people come up to me saying, Pastor, the message today spoke to my heart. God really showed me something today. God answered a question today and I don't know how he did it. I don't know what the question was. I don't know what the answer was. I thought I I didn't even know I was preaching to the church. I thought I was preaching to one lost soul over here. That God was trying to reach out and save and give them an opportunity in heaven. And yet here he took the word. And by his spirit, he fed his people exactly what they needed. I'm talking about being hungry when you come to the house of God. I'm talking about being focused and being in the moment and realizing the opportunity that is there for God to speak into your life and for you to be forever changed. Have you believed that God can do that? Come on, have you believed? Have you ever done it? Have you been sitting in the house of God and the word of God quickened you in your spirit? Have you can say that's happened to you? Come on, have you been going through a tough time and the word of God lifted you up? Something, just one thing, one thing. That God, you know God put it in there just for you. Then let's stand to our feet right now and let's thank God for that. Come on, let's lift our hands towards heaven. God, we thank you that you've done it before and you're going to do it again. We thank you that every person in this place is going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your word. This is going to be a time of great spiritual growth. God, there are leaders being trained right now. There are intercessors being birthed. There are teachers being established leaders right now that are being prepared God for great things Lord we thank you for your word we thank you for the word tonight we thank you for the challenge that it brings to each and every one of us God I'm asking you Lord that we really would seize this opportunity as Elder Carl talked about this is a time for growth it's a time to spring forward And God, we're believing you right now by the power of your spirit. You're going to anoint us for growth. You're going to anoint us for both spiritual and numerical growth. For both quality and quantity growth. Spirit, add to the church daily such as should be saved. And God, for your people here tonight, God, I'm asking you encourage them with your word. Encourage them and let them receive faith. May they go from faith to faith and from glory to glory. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. I know you can do it, God. I know you're working, you're moving. In Jesus' name.
kiss, Lord. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord and let's worship Him.